Jill here from TSC Talks, TSC Talks, where I share and reflect my lived experience within the dense matrix and systemic programming, awakening through the role of parent caregiver of loved ones affected by TSC, tuberous sclerosis complex, observing and integrating traumas and the limiting beliefs they spawn that keep us from knowing our own truth of who we are as divine beings. Coming up on the podcast is Leanne Bianchi. She is the founder of Good Citizenship Project, a wonderful program that she created and developed herself as an individual with a diagnosis of autism, having tons of lived experience and the work work and professional experience to find this really unconventional exceptional underdog lovely program that you're going to hear about and that has really helped my son personally and many other local uh, individuals who have some level of autism or special needs so look forward to Leanne and thanks for tuning in so much Jill here from TSC Talks thank you for tuning in I am here with my guests, Leanne Bianchi and Carla Bell, who's along for the ride. Leanne is the <laughs> founder and the uh, creator of Good Citizenship Project, which I've shared a lot of pictures on Facebook. If you follow me there, my son has participated in this program over the last seven or eight months. I found Leanne through a Facebook post and I saw what she was doing. She was posting pictures of uh people with some special needs working uh, working on farms and doing like volunteer work. And I was like, what is, what is that? And um, I immediately contacted her. She called me back in minutes and we had a great chat. Turns out we had rented from the same landlord and that creepy haunted house. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. So it, yeah. And she just jumped right in with my son and I cannot, thank her enough for just reminding me of how capable he is. And that I think that's what, uh, in my experience, Leanne is drawing out of the, the, the clients that she works with is really their capabilities beyond the, the, all the diagnosis, all the crap that we deal with when you're managing <laughs> a chronic illness. So yeah, it's just, just, she's just been a beacon and a beacon. And I can't speak highly enough about her program. So I'm probably embarrassing you. But anyways, why don't you... Uh, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, no pressure here. Yes, this beacon's going to talk. And I shut up in a minute here. So I know that you have some background. I, I detective worked you a little. That you worked at Seven Hills. And now you are, this business is, you are a respite and life skills support coach. And Good Citizenship Project is, is facilitates developing a sense of meaning and purpose, social, emotional skills, work ethic, peer relationships by volunteering, distributing donations, and supporting local farms. So that was what I, I found on your Facebook profile. So yeah, thanks, Leah, yeah. for coming on the podcast. Um, sure. Yeah. Glad I could do it. Yeah. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you, your life and how you ended up doing this, what you're doing. Uh, okay. Well, I think you, you sent the email with the questions and it started off with asking me about my formative yes. years. Oh, good. You're so my, what? Um, talking and 
go with the flow, but I work much better with it, you know, like a, a little bit, a little structure. Yeah. I need that. Um, So it's good. Carla, both of you and Carla had to like really encourage me to even do this because I not good tooting my own horn. So I'll do my best, but basically, yeah, the first question you asked was about my formative years. Mm -hmm. So my grandpa Frank on my dad's side was ambidextrous. He was an artist. He was really, he was just a really cool guy. Um, he, he designed for Ford for most of his career. So, you know, I've got a couple of, they were his concept, his concept cars. So yeah. So he had a huge studio in his basement and he used to just let me play with all of his art supplies, all of his trains and whatnot. And I think that, you know, hindsight being what it is, obviously in the late seventies, early eighties, autism wasn't even heard of. It wasn't even Mm. acknowledged, but I, I think if somebody were to go back in time and watch me, probably, you know, the way I was with sorting his colored pencils and even his trains, I had, they had to be in Roy G. Biv, you know, from the the colors, red, orange, yellow, green, it had to be in order of Roy G. Biv to the exclusion of everything else. You know, I'd be late to sit down for dinner. I'd not clean my room, whatever. Because I had to make sure those things were like that. So I think that's probably where, you know, where I get the whole, the connection to people who now got a diagnosis on the spectrum. I think I spent most of my formative years being overlooked or forgotten or falling between the cracks because I didn't fit into any of those, into those, you know, the criteria that that were put out at, you know, 1979 when I went to kindergarten, but I had a temper and I'd get frustrated easily and some I'd fixate on stuff. Really challenging. I, my, my family was really great. My mom, my dad, my grandparents all just kind of knew how to fix it for me or how to adjust how they were interacting with me or whatever. So that I just I got it. So I never knew that I was really any different until, you know, I consistently wound up in the principal's office. (laughs) I mean, in fifth grade, they were still using a paddle. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I remember it had holes in it. And I remember going to Mr. Flower's office and uh, having to put my hands on the desk and hearing the whistle of the air in the holes and getting paddled. Holy crap. Same as getting a I mean, it was the same as getting a spanking to me, you know, because I, yeah. I grew up in a household that they did spankings, you know. Oh, yeah, I got spankings. Um, yeah, spanking, you know, so, you know, that's probably, again, one of the indicators that I was a little bit different was that I spent a lot of time in the principal's office. So did my brothers, both of my brothers, similar stuff. My, my one of them used to get up on all fours in his crib and rock back and forth and smash his head into the headboard. Ooh, oh, my goodness. Like that. Yeah, but my daughter did that. My mom did that. He moved the crib all the way across the room with the head. Okay, so I I thought Andy was the only one. Love you, Andy. He's probably going to kill me (laughs) if he ever sees this. But I think I think it's I think NIH would have a good time looking into the genetics of it because Mm. if you look at my my dad growing up and like I said, Andy and my other brother Bradley and me 
lots of similarities, incredibly empathic, incredibly sensitive to other people's feelings. Which is, can be a misnomer for the autism population. Yep. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off um, there. I, well, one of the things that you asked in your questions is what are the things, what have I learned? And that's what I've learned, that people with the diagnosis on the spectrum are probably some of the most empathetic people you will ever meet. They get it more than they say. I shouldn't say say they, I should say we get it more than you give credit for. And that was one of the questions too about my connection with animals. Animals get it. They don't judge. They're safe. They, They will never hold a grudge against you or leave you if they don't have to. They're, they're just, and I think Jack will tell you that, you know, my animals, they just, they know their job. They're, they switch gears when they're around the people that that I support, especially Johnny, my horse. And he is, he's a godsend for sure. He's, he made sure that I was okay. And and now I get to share that with, with other people. That's so beautiful. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to watch. For sure. I can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Just the small glimpses that I've got of what you do and just your heart that, and like from what you just shared, I can see why it fits. Most of, most of the animals that are in my life, I didn't pick them. They picked me, you know, when I, when I met Johnny, I was going to a farm because the person, the owner, I had leased a horse from him before and then had a series of really bad falls and accidents. And I was terrified to get up on a horse again, but I, I needed to, it's, mm-hmm. it's what mm-hmm. centers me. It's it, what refills my well. So I knew I had to, but I didn't know where else to go except for back, back to this guy. And he had sold the horse that I was leasing, but he's like, you know, you can ride mine. He's a really old guy. He's been there. He's done that. We're going to put you up on the back of them and, you know, and you'll, you'll be fine. So I'd go there to ride Calvin. And every time I did, Johnny would just wander over. The other horses wouldn't let him near me, but he kept trying. And I felt bad because I'm a sucker for the underdog. And (laughs) I just started keeping treats in a special pocket for him. So that when the other horses would go to my left-hand pocket, I'd give him treats out of my right-hand pocket. And he just, he picked me. And both of my dogs are rescues and I went to the shelter and, you know, you walk by or whatever, and they, in one way or another, acknowledged me and picked me and even the cat and and my chicken, the house chicken, she, (laughs) she was going to die, but her, her, I don't know, flock mates would have killed her because she was different and she was sick. And, you know, so the barn owner was like, man, she was really, really sick. And he was like, you know, we should just put her out of our misery. You know, it's the humane thing to do. And it probably would have been, but again, underdog. So I was like, no, 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 give her to me. I'll make her all better. Oh, wow. syringe full of oregano water that I was like squirting into her beak. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's commitment there. (laughs) And so now, now she's the house chicken. And, um, <laughs> oh, that's, she's, she's, she sees me talking about her. Hey, Betty. Yeah. So I, yeah, I kind of hijacked your story where you were, you were talking about just challenges in, you know, throughout your academic 
through, throughout school kind of being overlooked and, you know, not really having a diagnosis or anything. So I feel yeah, like- Yeah, I, I mean, I got diagnosed with ADD and dyslexia later on. By the time I graduated high school, I then, you know, had severe depression um, and anxiety, which always goes with, you know, misdiagnosis or underdiagnosis. And I struggled a lot because by the time you're 18, you, you have an awareness of how different you are from other people, whether it's because you have an IEP and your parents are going to IEP meetings all the time, or you're in different classes than the rest of your peers, or, you know, like the turning 22 or the the post-grad programs. Yeah. These kids are fully aware of the fact that everybody else that they started kindergarten with is graduating this year, but for some reason they're there for another four years. Right. Like, like, I know, let's just talk out loud about this. Yes. It's infuriating. And I, yes, it's necessary. I understand why the program exists. I think it was founded with the absolute best intentions. Mm -hmm. Let's give these guys a little bit longer. They they just, they can do it. They just need a little bit longer. Yep. And then, and, and, and I still think that's true. Absolutely. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having a post-grad program. I think the problem is, is it's not acknowledged and no one's honest. I, I shouldn't say no one. Oftentimes people are not honest with those students about the real reason they're staying behind. Why they don't get to join their peers in college or a trade school or getting a job. And they just know that they're different. And it's kind yeah. of taboo to talk about it because you don't want to make them feel bad because you have autism. You have autism, so your your brain and your mind work differently than others. So we, we have to find ways to accommodate that. And instead of just saying that, they're like, oh, well, you know, you're just not as smart as other ones or, or people just don't answer the question. And then that's where you get the depression and the anxiety and that people are acting out and Ugh. becoming physically aggressive or self-injurious behaviors. You know, it, 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 it's adaptive. It's it an adaptive behavior. Science to out. Yeah. It really doesn't. It's, it really doesn't. If you think, all right, so and watching ago, it as oh, a parent yeah. is just, I can't tell you how infuriating it is. And to almost know that you, you know, there's not that many choices, but and you don't want to just cast your child out into the, the world. And so, but right. they, they know they, like you said, they freaking know. They know, you and know, the only, way, um, the only way that extra four years works is if there's a plan in place for the for those students to get new skills, and that's mm-hmm. why your program is so beneficial. Yes, because a lot of those I've seen it happen that a, those four years are are almost wasted. No new skills are being introduced. Right. So yeah. They're doing worksheets. Something like the Good Citizenship Project. They're doing worksheets. I want to tell this story, and I'm trying to think of how I can be discreet about it, but I was tired as an ABA in a high school to work with a young lady who was proper freshman, as in it was her first year in high school. And she had a lot of problems with communication and some physical barriers as well. But I mean, that her mind was there. So bright and just funny. And, you know, she's 14 years old. She's flirting with boys the way that she knows how to flirt. And in a lot of ways, developmentally she was reaching all those those kind of milestones wanting to flirt wanting to have her hair done wanting to wear the same outfit so that's my cat 
rubbing against my hand. Um, oh. Wanting to wear the same outfits and 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 blend in with her peers, mm-hmm. but she didn't speak the way that her peers spoke. She her body didn't work the way her the peers her peers body what worked, and so she was different, and she was so aware of it. And you know, you know what made it even better? Wink, wink. Not better. That's sarcasm. Is sitting her down in a room full of people who also had special needs and making her do preschool puzzles. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Because they wanted her to work on her eye-hand coordination and her fine motor skills. So they literally had, you know, the Melissa and Doug puzzles with the animals that fit into the pre-cutout spot. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's tragedy. I'm, I'm it is. Getting yep. serious thinking about it. And you know what she really needed to work on? Toileting. Mm-hmm. She could do it, but people assumed that because she was 14 and wasn't able to toilet independently yet, that she was never going to. Right. So the, her IEP uh, focused on being able to identify colors and numbers. And I think it was fair at that point to assume that at 14, if she didn't yet, probably not gonna. But given her diagnosis, the inability to toilet on her own was mostly because of underdeveloped musculature. Hmm. And you know how you fix that? Use the muscles. Use the muscles. Yeah. So Do some I, kegels. So I ignored the IEP and every 15 minutes I would set an alarm and we would go to the toilet. And if anything came out, I made a big deal out of it. Woo woo yay you. Then we went back to the other what we were supposed to be doing. And uh Wow. You figured that the, out. Um Yeah, it's amazing yeah. what you can figure out when you just pay attention for a little bit. <laughs> and I remember arguing with the BCBA and saying, look you're determining the course of this girl's future. Mm. She's 14. She's got six to eight years before they decide whether or not she's going to go into something like a CBDS program or a dayhab program. And whether or not she's able to independently use the bathroom charts that course. Yep. Yep. It's going to determine if she winds up in a group home and what group home she ends up in. And because you're focused on whether or not she can tell the difference between blue or green, she's not getting the help she needs in the area that is most important for her future. So I got fired. Really? <laughs> need more people like fired. you. I, I'm yes. Sorry? Yes. We need more people like you. Yes, we do. Well, except Absolutely. for that school system did not agree and I got fired. So <laughs> we need a new system. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, sure. Wow. Just, broken. I love that story. And, you know, I think mm. as a parent, it's, it's seeing the presumption of competence and having that slowly get eroded by if you, if you actually choose to believe, which I think happens to a lot of parents, they get caught up in the forest for the trees with the, all the testing yeah. and the, the, uh, just mm. this, the external aspects of it, not the energetics is what you're, you really seem to have a really a gift or, you know, lived experience with, with work that you've put in yeah. to well, perceive a lot. Having been the underdog yeah. most of my life, I get what that's like. And I understand that in the course of a school system where there's 300, 400 children or students in one class alone, you know, when I graduated from what you said, I think there were 416 people in our graduating class. 
And I think only 380 of us actually walked across the stage for various reasons, obviously. But you turn that in, you combine all four years. So now you've got 1,600 students, and then you include the life skills program and, and those other programs. And now we're talking, what, 2,000 2, people in one school? So I think that's yep. part of the problem. Yes. And I think another can... part of the problem is that when the squeaky wheel gets the oil, the, the kids whose symptoms are most prevalent or most obvious or the ones that are causing them the most problems, or should I say causing the administration the most problem, wink, wink, those are the ones that get triaged faster and get get services faster folks like jack who are able to carry on a conversation make eye contact physically capable of filling the snack machine and pushing a broom don't present as being as symptomatic or as struggling as much as somebody in a wheelchair or somebody who's mm -hmm. nonverbal. so again assumptions get made until it blows and, up in their face right right you know but yes i don't talk too much about my daughter but she got kicked out of a preschool because she was so frustrated with life that she started throwing chairs and and wipe, swiping all the um toys off the shelves and everything and you know naturally everybody jumped to it was a behavioral issue all right. blah, blah blah she's got a b and c so, and d yeah, yeah, but a preschool teacher was like, well, hang on a second. These are all the things that are going on in her life right now. And she's only three. And she doesn't have the verbal skills or the self-awareness to identify her frustration, her mm. fears, and everything else. So this is how you see it. This is, and I would be throwing chairs too. And right. I said, yeah, I was like, thank you. And that's the thing, when you stop for a minute and look at the source, what is what is the why? The root why cause is kind of. Do, do they feel that they have no other recourse? Years ago, I worked in a, in a group home for HMEA, loved working there, had mm -hmm. a woman who was one of the last people to be over at, what was it, the one in Northampton? one of those warehouses before they shut it down, you know, before DDS had that huge overhaul, like what, 20, 25 years know. ago. And there, you know, people were being warehoused and, you know, Ugh. literally hosed that literally hosed down in oh. a group shower. And, you know, Was loved ones would send Belcher in clothing town? and yes, Belcher town. Belcher town. Yes. Okay. That Belcher closed in 1992. The there was another one in, in Northampton and yep. whatever, but she was one of the last people to live in one of those institutions. Mm, okay. And then she wound up at HMEA and she was nonverbal. She had Down syndrome. Uh, she had all sorts of mobility issues. So she used a walker, but oftentimes we'd, you know, if we're at the mall or whatever, we'd push her around in the wheelchair. And she learned at Belcher Town or wherever it was she was. That if she didn't eat quickly enough, other people were going to eat for her. And if she didn't, you know, sit in the chair that she wanted quickly enough, then somebody was going to steal that chair or her clothes or her toilet paper or whatever. It sounds like my so daughter. She had some 
is some really deep seated mm -hmm. protective, mm -hmm. you know, I gotta, I gotta keep what's mine and save what's mine. And when I first started there, she was, yeah, she was in deemed in, in, in not incompetent. We Incom can't control her about what's Incom the word. Uh, it's incon incontinent. Yeah. Incontinent. That was yeah. the diagnosis. She was in. Okay. All right. Fine. And then you start paying attention to when these accidents are happening and you do your ABCs, antecedent behavior consequence, and you start figuring out that certain things happen immediately following an incontinent episode and things are, certain things are happening immediately beforehand. Uh, and I, again, it's amazing what happens when you pay attention. One of the few things in this woman's world that she could control yeah, was her balance. Just like an she wasn't incontinent or, at all. Quite the makes opposite. Perfect sense. She learned. Say Those. again. Yeah, she learned how to control one thing. She had no, no control over where she was living, what sheets she had on her bed, what food she got to eat that afternoon, but she could control that. Mm. So she trained us. You know, we started working around her schedule because it was the one thing she had control over if somebody had thought i don't know maybe two or three years before i'd gotten there why is this happening and asking those questions training 101 is to let the young child if we're talking it would, it would pertain to anybody let them have control over something else let her choose her sheets you know let her choose what she has for dinner and then that goes away and yep conceivably but you seem to zero right in on this and and it goes back to you know the people that i support again so many things are out of their control and again so many things are exist in their world that they're aware of that they cannot change you know this is so personal i understand them. it it's mm -hmm. seeing my daughter's yep. um her progression over the years and her inability to really get above her her diagnose her diagnosis her traumas and really put the pieces together so she clings to those things that just give her you know a sense of control it's so obvious to yep. me and i'm yeah. telling you they want to diagnose they want to do this they want to do that i'm like that's all she has you know so and, you know mm. on the surface i don't have a problem with somebody giving it a, a diagnosis i can absolutely a, it helps amazing it's a tool friend of mine yeah and it can it can be a tool can be a tool especially if you're looking for aid through the state financial aid health insurance food stamps right certain diagnoses get you more attention and more help than others uh currently everybody thinks it's cool to slap autism as a label on to anyone who doesn't fit into this picture perfect model yeah. you know back when my uh, brother bradley was little it was add and adhd everybody right. that had a yeah. behavioral issue had adhd let's just throw riddle and adam and make the problem go away yes this you band know. yeah and so in some ways having a label can be very helpful as long as you're prepared for that mantle of judgment and responsibility that goes along with it.
And they don't, they don't teach you that. The judgment. Especially when you're leaving the education system, public education particularly, although I'm not super fond of a lot of private or educational systems either. But once, once somebody turns 22, okay, bye, see you later, have fun. I'm going to just throw, right. throw the whole family in the deep end of the pool and see who swims. Oh, you don't know what you're doing? Well, oh, that's too bad. Here's a baby's life preserver. You can use that one. When I was working at the day program for Seven Hills, that was one of the things I tried to spearhead was a program for incoming students and their parents. And I wanted it to be a requirement before you can send your loved one to this program. Yeah, you're going to get a a tour and we're going to make everything look beautiful and rainbows and blow the butterflies up your rear end. And you're going to think it's great because there's like a pottery studio. Right. Oh, I was that parent. Yeah. And you're going to think it's great. And you're the rose colored glasses are on and you're exhausted because you've been dealing with this particular situation since God was a boy. So the minute you walk into this beautifully, you know, sunny enclosure with a gorgeous saltwater fish tank in the middle and everyone's talking about inclusive, being inclusive and person first language and blah, blah, blah. Yay. And then your person starts and they come home and you're like, wait, what happened today? excuse me, why were you allowed to walk through the hallways by yourself? Why is anybody telling you how to get to your next class? Why don't you have the support that you had in the public schools? Because they just turned 22. So good luck to you. Have fun. So I thought we should have a required class for parents or whatever. Like these are the things you need to know. Before little Johnny starts over at Aspire, absolutely. Let me walk you through it's what it's going to look like, and honestly, that should be done just for anybody who's leaving, you know, the education system and switching over to DDS supported services. Oh my goodness, yes. And DDS, you think they were selling you like a vacation future, the way they they describe it, (laughs) and. To be fair, I have friends who work for DDS. We used to work together at, like, when you start there, I tried for years to to get in with DDS and they never would hire me. I I don't know why, probably because I don't think well to having a boss. Because you're um, unconventional, which is what's necessary. Absolutely. Yeah, I am. Yeah, look look it up in the dictionary. There's me. I have friends who work there and I know how fresh-faced and starry-eyed they were when they started. And they, you know, you're supposed to be, I don't know, I think they tell you you're going to have 18 to 25 people on your caseload. Don't quote me on that number. And, you know, two months into it, my friend's like, I have 40 people on my caseload mm-hmm. and I'm supposed to spend X amount of time with each one of them per month. And, you know, I have to do home visits and this, that, and the other thing. And they were already overworked and then COVID hit. And now they're, you know, they're being asked to actually spend time working in the group homes because there's not enough staff i've seen that with my daughter's yeah. group home staff having yeah they're farmed out all the time yeah which contributes further to the problem because with the high turnover rate 
you've got people coming in who may not be necessarily doing it for the right reasons. Oh yeah. Or again, ran a group home for a while. Wow. So you really have this lived experience. I, and I use that term just like (laughs) running, running the group home. Yeah. I distinctly remember having this huge list of relief staff and I would call them and I'd say, hi, it's, you know, Leanne from such and such and what a what. And uh, just wondering if you're able to work any of these shifts this week. And they'd come in and they were offended that I'm like, well, you're going to have to help this one with toileting. And that means, yes, helping them wipe their rear ends. And and yes, you have to do the dishes. And yes, you have to. Or you get the opposite. And they were like, absolutely. And they were overly helpful. So it took away from the independence of the people that were living in the household. And, you know, they, they would go, there he is. Say hi, Eli. Oh my goodness. So cute. So cute. He's, he's, my, he's my love slut. Actually, the original Good Citizenship Project people helped me pick Eli out. Did I ever wow. that story? No, no. So that was one of the questions you asked yep. was how the Good Citizenship Project started. Yes. And wow. Uh, you really did like brought it around perfectly. Yeah. Good job. Thank you. Sure. Such a pain in my butt. (laughs) But so the Good Citizenship Project actually started when I was working as the program coordinator for Seven Hills up on Goddard Memorial Drive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are policies in place that protect people that, that attend these programs from being punished or, you know, having their behaviors used against them for later times and whatnot. And what that creates is an environment where there, you can kind of do whatever you want and there's not a lot anybody can do about it. Wow. We can't ask you, you can't be sent home for a couple of days for throwing a chair. You can't be, um, you know, we can't take away certain privileges. It's okay. You just nothing. come right back. There's, there yep. are no consequences to that kind of behavior. And yep. I get it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not arguing whether it's good or bad. I'm sh- shedding a light on the environment that it cr- creates. In that, like I said, if you pull somebody's hair in school, you're out. If you swear at a teacher, you, you get in-house suspension. You don't do your homework. Well, then you fail. Uh, How about at a job? <laughs> right. So, I mean, you do any of those things at work, you're fired, right? But that's not the environment that was created. And it's not anybody's fault. It's it's no. the result of places like Bel- Belchertown having existed. And so the pendulum switch swings the other way. And now everything's overly protective. Wow. And there are no consequences. So we had a bunch of folks that were there that were just right there in that turning 22 I mean they were they were just babies they're 22 in a day smart kids capable kids wonderful kids I shouldn't call them kids adults people I do that and they had so much potential and so little self-awareness so little knowledge of emotion regulation, distress tolerance, mindfulness, interpersonal effectiveness. None of those skills existed because that's not the focus in the public school system. None of that is. So we have all these folks who are completely capable 
of sweeping floors and changing out the trash and da 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 da. And again, the sheltered work, sheltered, what were they called? Sheltered workshops or something like that? Yes, sheltered workshops all got closed down because that was also being abused and taken advantage of. And people were doing six hours of work and getting paid 15 cents on the hour Mm -hmm. because it's based on your capabilities and how much you can get done. So all those sheltered workshops are shut down. And again, pendulum swims, swings the other way and it's super extreme. And now you can't take anybody anywhere to do volunteer work because then that's considered slave labor. So here we are with a building that needs to get cleaned and people who are capable of doing it and they need meaning and purpose. They mm-hmm. need to be able to go home and say, I did this. I look at my job well done. And they're doing, like you said earlier, Carla, give, they're being given worksheets and coloring sheets. And, you know, they're taking classes on distress tolerance, but no one's actually showing them how to use it. Mm-hmm. And like they're real born, time. And they're acting Good out work. and they've got no meaning and purpose. So I was like, fine, let me find some nonprofits that we can go, um, where we can go volunteer because you can volunteer at a nonprofit as an autonomous adult, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But if we were to go someplace where it was a for-profit agency, like where did I try and take them to volunteer? Cornerstone Ranch in Princeton where she gives- Oh yes, yep, I know that place. to take them there to do barn work and stuff and the higher ups at seven hills were like pump the brakes because that's a for-profit place and if you're taking them there to do work then they need to get paid for it oh wow so we'll kind of okay limiting so yeah so it, it and of course there's not a lot of places that if you call them up and say hey i'm from seven hills can we come volunteer the first thing they're thinking of is, oh, great, all these special need people and the job's not going to get done right. And they're a liability. To, um, I mean, that's... right, it is. It is. Let's be honest, it is. So I reached out to um, Western Animal Rescue League and a couple other places, the Ecotarium, and explained I've got all these able bodied adults and they need work to do, they need heavy lifting. They need to break a sweat. They, they need to work hard and feel, feel like what that feels like yeah. to have that accomplishment. And so I had that set up, the li- one of the libraries we went to and everything, got it all set up. But on the other end of that, and this is where the actual Good Citizenship Project came in, you couldn't join and, and go out with me in the community as, on a volunteer basis unless you had good attendance, you had been free from any aggressive incidents for X amount of time, mm-hmm. you were able to show that you could control your language and, and interact with the people in the building appropriately and stuff. And it was delicate. And I, I, I still had to be very careful how I worded it. But yeah, if, if you couldn't meet that criteria that week, you didn't get to come to the Good Citizenship Project. And when I pitched it, to Phil Philbin, he was not super thrilled because he was afraid that it would be considered, you know, being punished. Right. And I said, okay, well, then that's part of the curriculum is learning 
how to be socially appropriate and learning how to accept constructive criticism and feedback and learning how to accept consequences to mm-hmm. your behaviors and your actions. So I finally got, sold them on it. And I, my boss at the time, Sonia was the program manager and she was like, yes, absolutely. Let's do this. Cause she saw what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she was really great in helping me word it in a way like Carla's doing with my business proposal. Cause I can talk about it all day, but then finding the right language to use so that people hear me mm-hmm. and actually take me seriously. Oh, I'm glad you're doing that. Different ball of wax. Oh, yeah. um, oh, they'll take you so, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. So Sonia was there to do that. And there was another girl I worked with. Her name was Tanya and another girl named Amy. And I used to jokingly say that they would um, translate into Leonese what people were saying. And because you know, like people with autism often do, I took everything personally and as a, a personal affront. And they were like, no, no, no. What they're saying is this is great. Fix that, blah, blah, blah. So the good citizenship was born. And we actually did a thing where each class broke up and, you know, they broke up into pods, if you want to call them. And they either made up their own recipe or researched a chili recipe and then we invited firefighters from Paxton, Rutland, Worcester. The so place, cool. Uh, yeah. And so they had a chili cook-off. And what's the premise there? Well, we're saying thank you to the firefighters for the hard work that they do, building community relations. And all these guys got a cooking lesson out of it. And they got to take part in that and, and be part of something bigger instead of just mm-hmm. Program every day, and okay, this is how you're going to make grilled cheese and push the oh, buttons yeah. on the microwave. Mm. Which yeah. actually doesn't, it's like you explained to me, it's very prop dependent because I know my son spent years learning how to cook. I mean, he should be able to walk into the kitchen and cook, but no, you know, I've had to like go over it step by step and write it down, visuals, and because he hadn't done it real time. Yeah. Right. Prompt dependent. So these guys did it they did it real time and they all got the experience of that constructive feedback. Yeah. Firefighters didn't, obviously there was one winner, you know, so the other people who did not win had to accept that and had learn to deal. how to deal with that kind of disappointment, you know, and we also did Friendsgiving. So everyone was asked to bring in a donation of food, either a can of corn or some flour or cookies from the bakery at Shaw's, whatever. And you were allowed to invite one person of your choosing. And we did a giant buffet family style Friendsgiving, like the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And I mean, hundreds of people came, you walk through the line and we cooked everything ourselves. I like, I took home turkeys and I cooked the turkeys, but you know, they made the stuffing and the mashed potatoes and the corn and the green beans and every, you know, every and they were excited about it it wasn't a hardship they were thrilled to be able to have the people that they care about come in see their day program taste the food that they've cooked see their friends you know it was this giant undertaking it was and a friend of mine dj karaoke after for them all thank you matt r if he ever hears this podcast so he came in and he did that and it, it was it was amazing it was so much fun but that was the good citizenship that was the whole thing like you do nice things for other people without the expectation of anything in return 
And that's how you're a good citizen. So whether it's going to somebody's house and walking their dog for them, there was a person in town who had surgery and then his wife got sick. And so we brought over a meal, you know, yeah, literally all they did was walk out and hand it to the guy. But it's still the idea of you just, you do nice things for other people. Mm -hmm. I love it. And that's with no expectations. You know, that's the meaning and purpose because you feel good when you do good things. It's kind of like, duh, but we've forgotten that in our, you know, it's everything's disconnected. We forgot to connect the dots. So I, I see, yeah, what you're doing is really connecting a lot of the dots in these systems that are really, you know, like you said, I mean, they, they were intention, the intentions there, a lot of the people in them are fantastic, but it's not, it's not like tying things together for these amazing humans that need to go forward in life. So it's very disconnected. And, you know, like you had said before, I think Carla, you mentioned it about how those extra four years at the high school are, are wasted. You know, I'm hoping that participating in the Good Citizenship Project and being a member of it helps to sort of balance that out and teach, you know, yeah, it's great that you know how to put the whatever mac and cheese in the microwave. That's great. Why don't you try going over to somebody else's house doing it for them? Right. You know, you yeah. hear about elderly people who are stuck in their homes, you know, when it snowed the other day. Well, I, I know you know how to shovel. Go over and shovel your neighbor's driveway. Don't ask for anything back because eventually it'll come back to you somehow in some way, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then you can go to school on Monday. Oh, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I played Minecraft and watched three, three and a half men. And oh, well, I shoveled for my neighbors and they brought me some cookies the next day. All right. Okay. And that's why I think that her business should be so much bigger. I told oh her gosh. when I met her that she needs <laughs> to be in charge and 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 instruct these other yes. people on the on just what she knows. There needs yes. to be like twelve of her. You're back in business. Okay. Well, so to speak, yeah. So yeah, so good citizenship <laughs> project start. That's how it started. And how has it how has it gone? And what's your vision? kind of thing like and how do people get involved or so find out more it's easy to get involved all you gotta do is uh, look it up on facebook it's just good citizenship project it's not there's no the because again technical technologically challenged i think start simple made two Hmm? yeah well I, i made i made two facebook pages accidentally and then i had to join them and whatever. So it's just Good Citizenship Project on Facebook. That's it. There is no website. Sorry. Again, not that technologically advanced. Someday when I actually have a laptop, maybe I'll do it. Right now, this thing that I'm using is all I have. So that's the next um, goal. Next goal. So people can just go to the Facebook page and my phone number's on there or they can call 508-868-0293 that's me I try and call people back as soon as I can I think I'm pretty good about responding to the messages on there and there's really no requirements you don't have to know about animals you don't have to know how to perform the chores you have to be physically capable of doing them at some point and you have to be willing to do it. And that includes during inclement weather. I get a lot of parents who call or caregivers and they say, oh, well, 
so-and-so, you know, I'm a little concerned if we, if it's cold out, well, the animals don't care. So, so deal, particularly when there's inclement weather is when it's most important for us to go. And I don't think people necessarily realize that I have a relationship with these barns and therefore when I say we're going to be there at Tuesday at nine, they plan accordingly. They make other arrangements and they plan on maybe doing other chores that they didn't have time to do, but now they will because we're going. And then if I say, oh, well, you know, Jack doesn't want to come because it's cold. Now they're in a lurch. You know, not that Jack's ever done that. (laughs) Jack's the last person to do it. He'll throw on like a space suit if he needs to to go. (laughs) Yeah. But I have had parents call with those concerns. Well, you know, what if it's 20 degrees out, then put on extra layers. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I'm all like, (laughs) shut them outdoors with the hose, you know? So yeah, I'm all about them having a little hardship. My mom was like that. I, there was, if TV was like something you did right after everything else and and you need to be outside. And again, that's, that's kind of my thing. So even, even with the dogs, like I just buy them coats, heavy coats, and they go out when it's cold and I adjust it. And if there's a snow day for the schools, then probably I'm not going anywhere anyway, because I'm not going to put your loved one in the car and drive around on unsafe road conditions. But that's not having anything to do with the actual weather. It's having to do with being safe. Right. Um, so I mean, the Good Citizenship Project's not for the faint of heart. It's not for anyone who is going to give up after five minutes of hard work. It's That's for people point. who, you know, it's it's not for everyone. And I'm not for everyone because I'm kind and compassionate, but I'm also a hard nut to crack. And if I decide that I believe you're capable of doing this, then I will encourage you to do so. Mm, I love that. <laughs> Ask Jack. <laughs> I know. I, yeah, yeah, you're like, you. the, I want to say like the, the horse whisper or something, the Jack whisperer, getting him to just able to get a lot out of him that I, now I can, I'll tell you that I was saying that to Carla while you were gone. Like now he's taking responsibility. He's home. He's doing, you know, he's getting the mail. He's going, getting stuff for me at the pharmacy. He's shoveling. He's, wow. you know, yeah. Yeah. It's like something clicked in him. So good. That's good. Yeah. It's amazing what validation does for people. It's uh, amazing yeah. how, how much they can really do once you remember they the, know um, I'm capable. Right. They get something you wins. both saw the movie Better Off Dead, right? With John Cusack. The ski, the ski movie, I Want My Two Dollars. Yes. <laughs> yeah vaguely Carla you remember there was the pretty the little pretty French exchange student and, God, it's coming he, and John Cusack had like a terrible sense of self-esteem and he was always like oh no I can't do this and whatever and he was terribly self-doubtful and so the French girl was you know like oh yes you just need a taste of success and then you will see that you, that you want more and I think that's mm. true for, I mean I can't say it as cute as she did because she had that little well you're not French so I'm, I'm not an actress but I you guys should both watch the movie because it's hilarious but I know um, I'm gonna have to I think I it's, it's probably sorry I would watch probably saw it in the 80s yeah and you bring it out again because a different perspective on life in general and it's 
actually very dark because it's making fun of how many times he tries to kill himself. Mm. But it's okay. He gets bro- he gets dumped by this girl Beth, and typical of all teenagers in high school, like oh, it's you know it's the end of my life. I, I I'm gonna die. But he takes it to that next level where he's like trying to jump off a bridge and all this. And I won't ruin it for you okay. because you can't talk about it. <laughs> like you can't talk about it in today's day and age without sounding really no, insensitive. And how was that acceptable? And how did our parents right. let us watch that? And yeah, yeah. that in that movie, she says, you just need a taste of success and you will yeah. find that you like it. Yep. And Carla, you had, you had touched on that and, you know, just having that, that positive reinforcement in that. I mean, when you do something good for someone, your brain releases serotonin yep. and norepinephrine mm-hmm. and all those good, feel good hormones that start coursing through your body. So it's, it's a scientific fact that you feel better when you do nice things for people. DBT will teach you that as a, as a coping mechanism when you're feeling particularly angry or withdrawn and you don't want to deal with people, do the opposite of that and actually go deal with people and do something nice for someone. Mm-hmm. And, and all right. that natural reinforcement that you get from simply smiling at someone and saying, hey, I like that necklace. It does amazing yeah. stuff. And it bleeds over into like working with Johnny because they get that instant reward the sensory wise, you know, of, of touching him and smelling his detangler and hearing him crunch. Mm. But then also the, ne- the time that next time they come back, he recognizes them. He walks right over to them and he's looking for treats and he's looking for attention from them. And even if they, you know, some of them still have to find input other ways. So they might start fla- flapping their hands or jumping or staring off into space or whatever and he he's just like okay all right i'll be over here just finding some hay do you think he doesn't care care. (laughs) right there's no judgment whatsoever there's no you're you i'm me let's just be here together and if if you need a minute cool i'll be over here finding some grass let me know when you're ready you know and he's big and so there's that how there's that empowering feeling of I just got a one-ton animal to follow me through this obstacle course and let me put hula hoops on his head and you know in school I can't get people to sit still and talk to me for 15 minutes because I'm weird but I can go to the barn and I can do or say whatever I want to Johnny and he doesn't care you know and it's the same when we go to the we go to over to Jesse's farm and we see the emu who is a really prehistoric, strange looking animal. We drove up there. Like... Jack knew the way. We drove up there. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. He, the emu's name is Jersey. We've recently discovered through some key behaviors that it's a boy, not a girl. But he looks like a Muppet. He looks like something that Jim Henson would have created. You know, he's goofy looking yep. and has these weird, sudden movements and absolutely no filter, no boundaries. You know, and if you're a person on the spectrum, you're kind of particular about your boundaries and your personal space. And Jersey is like, so (laughs) tough. I'm going to, I'm going to nibble on your jacket and try and eat your earrings or pull your hair. Tough. Deal with it. So there's those moments where things happen that they don't like 
but it's not happening. A person's not doing it. So there's none of that initial offense or fear because, you know, let's face it, by the time you've been in the school, by the time you're 16, people have been mean to you, no matter if you're neurotypical or not. Yeah, that's for sure. There's bullies and, and there's life. Life happens and we get disappointed and we experience trauma, whether it was accidental or not. So by the time you're in high school, if somebody moves quickly towards you, you back up and you're fearful. But animals can do it and it's like, oh, hey, what's going on? That's cool. Oh, look, he's eating my buttons. And it's Yeah, safe. so like desensitization or kind of. Yeah. And you get to say, I got to pet an emu today. Right, right. Bonus. Who can go to school and say that? Uh, not you know? many. I mean, yeah. I showed that slideshow to his team and they, you know, they had no words for that. That kind of. So because. Because a lot of people still have pigeonholed Jack as as being someone who's aggressive and uncontrollable. Blah, blah, blah. Right, right, right. Sure, oh, I know. Fine. I know. I was too. I was too. Twelve years old, chasing around my mom's cat with a with a broomstick because I had no idea how to channel and express mm. my fears and frustrations and anger, and so I took it out on the closest thing that wasn't going to fight back. Yeah, I was 12. I had no idea what was going on in my brain with my hormones and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, I'd never think about ever doing that now, but I was so flooded with flooded, like good word. hormones and, and, mm. and lack of coping skills. You make a mistake when you're 12 or 16 or nine or 21 and 10 years later, it's still following you around. Yeah. And it's, it, that's just entirely not fair. It's good to have that information, but I'll tell you when I was the case manager over at seven Hills, somebody new would be coming in, especially from like the schools. And, you know, my supervisor was like, here's the file, read up on it. So, you know, and I'd wait until after I met them. Did because you? I don't want that. Oh, no judgment. That's good. Yeah. yeah yes. No preconceived. Right. Uh, because whether you want it to or not, it makes a difference. You oh yeah, form, you, you walk it's into that room. It's it's what we do. It's yeah. how we navigate. Well, that's how we survive. You know, saber tooth tigers, right? By looking around and making a snap judgment about, oh, that thing has big teeth and fur. I better get up a tree. Right. That's how we survive. It's now necessary to yeah. make snap judgment. You, you therefore afterwards have to be willing to reassess after you survive the initial threat you're up in the tree and oh and the cat walks by and oh i just wanted that antelope over there it didn't actually want me cool fine i'm gonna climb back down the tree and go the other way now done it's it's part of survival it's necessary yeah. but it's a little hyper developed in our our because we don't we're not using it in the right way but anyways <laughs> and mm especially if you have a diagnosis and require an IEP, you've been taught to judge first and think later because everyone's, no, I shouldn't say everyone. Oftentimes you're poorly treated based on your diagnosis. So, oh yeah, just eat. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So what's your vision? (laughs) 
Oh, I just want the people that I support. I want the members of the GCP to walk away from the experience with me having a sense of meaning and purpose, knowing that they're worthy and capable and knowing how to speak up for themselves in an appropriate way. I don't come across people that don't know how to stick up for themselves very often. I come across people who do it in a way that gets them in trouble. Wow. Good. Well worded. You know, mm-hmm. so That's... my thing is, uh, I can use Jack as an example because you're his mom. So I can talk openly about him with you. You know, sometimes he gets frustrated or he's unsure if he, you know, like with the law, he wants to please, he wants to please. He's afraid of failure. He's afraid of criticism. And so often he'll be doing something that by my assessment, he should know how to do this by now and really doesn't need anything from me. I'm literally just there to make sure that like a piece of wood doesn't go flying and hit somebody in the face. And he's doing it beautifully probably better than he gives himself credit for and he'll often look up at me like is this right or should I do this and I just go yeah that mm-hmm. internal I absolutely will not give him that um I don't want to say support but he's looking for reassurance and that's an inappropriate time to do it if you're working with a log splitter excuse my language but you damn well better know what you're doing by now and if you don't, and you need to look at me as to whether or not you should be doing it, then you probably shouldn't be doing the log splitter anymore. Before your so, finger goes through. Right. <laughs> and the thing is, is he doesn't need that. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he's really, really good at it better than most neurotypical people because he's got that attention for detail. Yes, he does. And if you tell him something's supposed to be two feet long and four inches wide, then he will make sure it is two feet long and four inches wide every single time because that's what you told him he's supposed to do. So he's going to go with it, you know, which is a strength most times. It can also um, be oh, an endurance yeah. depending on the situation. But I can I can throw that right back at him and have that conversation in the car and he doesn't like it. And I don't care because I'm mean. And also, if you need to ask me whether or not that you did a good job on this, then you don't need to be doing this anymore. And he gets huffy and then I'll say, hey, I'm being straight with you because if you want to get a job as a firefighter, you damn well better be able to make these kinds of decisions on your own or you'll die. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, just getting a little teary because I see the, I see him being able to start to handle criticism, handle yeah. these things. Yeah. So that have been, you know, I, I have the same philosophy. Yeah. Really just like, I'm not going to baby, baby you. I think he gets babied a lot in school and whatnot. And I bet I'm not going to baby you, but you know, I haven't always been that way. So, you know. So I guess one of the unintended goals or I I didn't really think about it until now, but it seems to be a a consequence of, of the good citizenship project is that I'm squelching this learned helplessness that people mm. come to me with. You know, I'm not a parent of a child with special needs. So I can only talk about what I observe when someone comes to me and I'm providing services for mm-hmm. them. But what I do often notice is that parents are tired. 
oftentimes this person that's coming to me as a member of the Good Citizenship Project is not an only child. They have siblings. And so there's a dynamic there where often the parent or the legal guardian or whatever the caregiver is tired. So they go to default and they depressed i'm just gonna tie your shoes for you right now because oh yeah we need to get out the door because your brother's got soccer and your sister's got ballet and i'm hungry and your father's gonna be home soon so yeah i'm just tying your shoes for you right now Mm. oh yeah i was guilty you know oh yeah me too Mm -hmm. there's nothing to be guilty about oh yeah for now they have to catch in my case i now have a 27 year old individual who doesn't know how to tie his shoes nobody fault i have time to show that i i'm that's what you're paying me to do yes. so i can t- tell them i can teach them how to tie their shoes and, and i will because you can't have untied shoes around a farm <laughs> if you trip and fall and smash your face on a pitchfork well you shoot your eye out kid you know <laughs> like you can't yeah yeah <laughs> Mm. The, the best thing about working on a farm is there's no room for screw up really there is but there isn't where safety is concerned I don't screw around I'm very strict mm-hmm. and, and that's a criteria I, I said there aren't a lot of requirements I need to know that you can keep yourself safe and if I say no don't do that you're gonna listen to me the first time if that's a concern and you're not lucky enough to have like a one-to-one that can come with you then you at it this time work. would not be eligible Got it. to be a member of the Good Citizenship Project because I, you need to be able to keep yourself safe. We're around, I, if you guys saw the picture of uh, Jesse's Scottish Highland bull. Mm. The, yes, uh, beautiful animal. Of those horns is what, four feet, five feet? Yep. Mm. And even if you're standing outside of the fence, if he swings his head over because a butterfly went by and he wants to see what that is over there and you can't move fast enough, you're getting gored by a bull. Yeah, it's not pretty. So there's a level of self-responsibility that is required and some people aren't given the credit for having it. But with pretty, if you just stick with me, kid, in a little, you're going to have it real quick. Yeah. That's not not an area I can take any risks and I won't. If I feel like you're capable of learning that with me, then then I'll teach you. And I think that's where, you know, you get rid of that learned helplessness. Because I'll, t- I'll show you how to tie your shoes once, twice, maybe three times. And then after that, I'm going to be like, mm, no, hold on. Let me stop what I'm doing. I'll sit here and I'll wait for you. But you're doing this by yourself now. You know, let's, let's get this done. Because you're 20 whatever years old and you should be able to do this by now. One thing that people seem to miss when you're offering adaptive whatever is that the end goal should still be that a person who's neurodiverse should be able to blend in to the neurotypical population as much as possible. We want to celebrate everybody's diversity. I don't care if you're neurodiverse or whatever. Everybody should be celebrated for their differences. If I can't give you the tools to blend in more, then life's going to be that much harder for you. Mm-hmm. When you walk, mm-hmm. when you go to get a job or you're at the beach and there's all those guys over there playing volleyball and you want to play too. 
if I can't give you the skills on how to make that happen, then, then I'm failing. So that's really the end goal is mm-hmm. autonomy, meaning and purpose, self-confidence, and, and the confidence in yourself to ask for help when you need it. It's just what's needed. Yeah, self-advocacy. Right. Yeah, and I feel yes, like- Yes, that's the word. Yeah. Self-advocacy, yes. You know, and that, they throw that on IEP goals all the time. So like, do they even know what that means? But, but they don't follow through. Yeah, right. Thank, you know. thank you. Follow through would be key here, since you know some people still can't go to a restaurant and choose from the menu because they're so used to you know going out on outings with the group at school right. or day program, and the staff person will say, "Do you want a hamburger or chicken nuggets?" There's about seventeen other things on the menu that someone can choose from. But the staff member is saying, knows that chicken fingers and, or burger are this person's favorite. So they say, do you want this or oh, that? Oh, that's a good Which point. Is- yes. And I noticed that you take your, the people who work with you out a lot to lunch. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. You put, a, put a picture on Jack's favorite lunch or whatever. <laughs> oh, and yeah. uh, most of the time. That, that's a really key, important thing to do. It's a life skill. Just, and everybody, you know, I mean, everybody like, knows Chris by now, right? From Chris's collections. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. um, I've known him since he was knee high to a grasshopper. He was, you know, running underneath the bellies of the horses at the barn when I met him and his mom. So I've known the family a long time and God bless him. Cause by the t- time he and I are done together, he's probably ready to kill me. <laughs> Especially when we go out to lunch, because I rarely will say to him, do you want chicken fingers or do you want a burger? Usually I'll say, oh, well, let's see. Oh, look, they have fried tomatoes and grilled cheese so let's try one of those which one do you want so i'm still limiting the choices but i'm presenting new ones new ones and it's not a yet don't ever don't ever say get offer a yes or no question because you're going to get no so i won't say do you want grilled cheese i'll say do you want grilled cheese or do you want jalapeno poppers mm-hmm. you know and uh, even with jack when we went to antonio's give them a shout out because they're awesome you should go and the staff there is amazing you know he's flipping through the menu and I could see the stress the anxiety you know what yeah. I mean he starts to clench his jaw and I could see these muscles here and he's getting tense because there's a lot to choose from and I said well what, what are you in the mood for like do you, do you want a burger I know you said you had you were talking about a burger because it's it's a treat yeah 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 so you can have a burger if you want but that's not the only thing on the menu I, I think you like pasta right so we just had a conversation about likes and dislikes, mm-hmm. taking the pressure off of the need to make a choice because it's going to happen eventually. We're in a restaurant, you're going to choose. But we just made it a conversation, and then through that conversation, learned that he really did want a burger because he doesn't get them that often. So I was like, "I'm a burger, man." You know, you worked <laughs> yeah. hard today. You did a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah. You burned off some calories. Have a burger. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. You yep. know. 